everybody, and welcome to Feeling Seen, the podcast about the movies that make us feel seen. My co-host for today is yet another beautiful feature debut. We are so lucky to have had some recent excellent feature film debuts on this podcast, um, and now uh, coming on the amazing heels of Chloe Okuno, we have a writer and director. You may, Perhaps you have seen some of her short film work with The Silent Man, The Girl with the Liquid Eyes, Huffs and Puffs, and maybe perhaps you have seen, I hope you have seen and been told to see, uh, She Will. Director Charlotte Colbert. Charlotte, welcome <laughs> to the podcast Hi. and the conversation. Hi, thank you for being here. No, thank you so much for having me. You also have you also have a background in photography and sculpting. You're you're a multidisciplinary artist. Is there anything else I left out that will be helpful context for people to have as we start talking to you? Um, uh, an eternally confused uh, and bewildered person. <laughs> Great. So who knows where we're gonna go? We're gonna end up, everybody. Uh, because she's she's called it out. Uh, well, okay. How she she will. Let's start with a little bit of of the the work that you're bringing to the table to the world now. Tell us a bit about she will, if if you will. <laughs> I would love to. Um, so she will is a sort of um, dreamy psychological horror set in Scotland with. Um, uh, Alice Cridge and Kota Eberhardt, Malcolm mm-hmm. McDowell, Rupert Everett, um, Clint Mansell did the school. And, um, yeah, it's, um, been described as a sort of character driven nightmare, which I think seems quite, yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, accurate. You know, obviously you're the, you're the director, you're in charge, you're, you're, um, I did not remind me your uh, remind me the screenwriter's name that you worked with. I, Kitty Percy. Kitty Percy. I knew the Kitty. Yeah. Lost the second word. Thank you, Kitty Percy, screenwriter Kitty Percy. When you have Alice Creed, is that just kind of like, listen, guys, she's got it. She's she's got like, let we're gonna follow Alice into this oh. fucking abyss. I'm having dark thoughts, sir. It's normal. Everyone has them. I mean, really dark thoughts. She is such an incredible talent, and she is such a remarkable physical screen presence. Uh, I was reading an interview that said that the character of uh, Veronica Ghent, yeah, she was kind of built around Alice once she agreed to come on for the part. Is that correct? Yeah, so I think like it's so interesting, isn't it, with film, and um, I guess it's quite similar with architecture. Mm. You know, you get like a as a writer or whatever, you, you work for ages on something that's sort of the blueprint of, um, of making something. Mm-hmm. And then it needs to be sort of inhabited by materials and reality and mm-hmm. proportions and gravity and all those kind of things as well. Um, so the blueprint for the character was there and, and Alice is the most extraordinary human and actor. Oh, and, um, and there was lots of, stuff in there you know that resonated for her and and that she really could bring into her performance and 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 so that you know sort of the flutter of her eyelid sort of ends up carrying so much weight yeah she she's 
she's just amazing. You know, in the middle of the night in Scotland, it's really, really cold and you'd sort of twist your head and find her doing some amazing um, energetic um, sort of ritual in the forest trying to gain like her her power and wow. sort of conjure that kind of energy around her. Uh, truly incredible. Well, I, I like your work as an immediate pivot point into the character in the movie you have brought for us to discuss today is a totally different experience. It is a it is a different emotional journey to go on. What is the character and what is the movie that we are going to be talking about today? Um, yes, it's it's really interesting. So there were the characters that felt like they revealed or made one feel seen. Mm -hmm. And then I guess I couldn't help but bring up characters that I guess I aspired to have been, yeah. you know, yeah. um, that felt like they had that sort of potentially uh, confidence or, you know, the thing that you sort of, um, yeah, aspire to as a teenager. <laughs> and so, and so there was this old sort of dusty DVD um, in the relics of a drawer uh, <laughs> in, uh, in, I think, my grandparents' home. And I, I pulled it out and, and on the cover was this riveting, gorgeous... Gorgeous. Um, Sophie Massou. Yes, um, and it's... Uh, the movie, is it... You can tell me the correct pronunciation. La Bombe? La Bombe? La Boom. La Boom la is boom. like, basically, is a really... It's like the, the word that maybe your grandparents would say for, like, a prom or mm -hmm. something. Okay. Um, it's like a very old-fashioned... Um, and I guess it was Boom because of the... <laughs> The beat, do you know what I mean? The beat of the music. So it is quite funny. It's like, um, it's a bit like when, yeah, when I was a kid in France, it was like the period where um, people watched a lot of American sitcoms and so everyone started having American names and so people were like, Kevin, but you know, with a French pronunciation. It was like, it was quite funny. So this was like the generation before where I guess they started getting like music with a bit more of a kick. Um, even though it's still unbelievably sort of like romantic and cheesy. And um, it's a quite like sentimental, slightly cheesy, um, feel good French movie from the 80s. And um, and she plays this um, teenager and it sort of goes through her loves and it would be like the equivalent of an American teenage film, except it's French. I'm, I'm French. And um, so I guess in some ways it's, much more indie as a film in itself. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Budgets are much lower. And also, uh, you know, kids in France, like, smoke cigarettes and, like, do you know what I mean? It's, like, a different, like... Yeah, she's, like, she's different. 13. Her character Vic is 13 in this movie, and they're, and it's, like, there's a scene where they're all just, like, at a house party. Like, there might be parents in another room, and she's just, like, standing by the punch bowl smoking, and I was, like, it is 1980 and French, so, like, okay... Sophie Marceau's Vic is, she is a lovelorn 13-year-old. She is absolutely obsessed with the boy she has developed a crush on, but then she meets another boy who she develops a crush on and becomes obsessed with him. And in, in the midst of it, her parents, like, they start to experience mar marital discord. But there's absolutely nothing Brigitte in the world. Fosse, who's amazing. The, the mom character is an oh, incredible actress. Incredible. She's so brilliant. And also, like, the funny thing, because that's a really interesting thing with European cinema is where I feel like older actors are seen much more on screen or the mm. female actors. Uh -huh. Like in France, you, there's a um, big culture of films which have 50, 60, 70-year-old leads mm -hmm. as women, you know, mm -hmm. whereas in the Anglo-Saxon world, it feels much rarer. Mm -hmm. 
I really appreciated, I really appreciated about this movie the the remarkable figure of the grandmother who was a professional harp player and sex positive goddess. And and mom is a mom has become like a working cartoonist for a local paper and she's ravishing. And Vic is obsessed with these boys in her life, but they exist as sort of only these mute fantasies that we rarely hear or speak and don't really have any interiority. And in that way, like, felt like a perfect sort of inversion of how we normally see that read-thin, one-dimensional, like, female love interest. Yeah, exactly. They, they're trapped in the role of the muse. It's very interesting that you say that. You're absolutely right. Yeah, there's, so there's that thing of them being completely trapped in her in a way we're in, like, her sort of fantasy. Of, yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they might as well be cardboard cutouts, these boys that she's crushing <laughs> on. Like, they... Here, there is a particularly funny scene where one of them thinks her dad's been crushing on little girls and he, like a, I don't know, like a tiny heroic 13-year-old boy is like, I'm going to go beat up this guy who I think is scamming on kids. But that's kind of the most that we get from him at any point. And I wondered, like, you, I'm, I'm glad to hear you call the figure aspirational of, of Vic in this because I wondered if, were you then, in your teen years, the one sort of mooning over these fantasy idols? Or when you say aspirational, were you like, what was it about Vic that was like, God, like that's that's the dream. That's the teenage dream that I want. You be. know, I think it's exactly like that. It's so funny. Um, it's definitely. I think I was quite odd as a as a child and teenager, and quite sort of nerdy and quite socially awkward and quite mm-hmm. shy. Mm-hmm. And yes, yeah, so I think like the confidence of of this character, I just thought, God. How incredible. I mean, you know, one day to be able to just walk into the room and like (laughs) (laughs) be able to just stand seems completely remarkable. I mean, I still like find it hard not to go bright red, you know, like in general. So, um, um, (laughs) so the characters that were, that I also fired across with the, the young roles of Charlotte Gainsbourg, who's like, um, was so incredible in like these roles, like, uh, Merci la vie. And, uh, Les Frontés and all these kind of films where she plays these sort of misfit, angry characters who sort of fight against the world. And I guess on the other end, you had Sophie Marceau as a kind of beacon of, of, um, more integration. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Whereas it's interesting paralleling, I guess, the, the Charlotte Gainsbourg characters where they're all sort of mismatched families and like complicated and, you know, like not the kind of nuclear thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Were always ones that I've, I related to more, but perhaps, um, yeah, I don't know. I've always found Mm -hmm. it. I've always found like the idea of the nuclear family quite fascinating in, Mm -hmm. in as a thing. And I don't know if it works, the nuclear family, better than any other family. Sure. I mean, I, 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 I've I, only got two friends who have that kind of concept, yet we're still taught it so much in yeah. in books and stuff. And it's so strange that that hasn't evolved since it's no one's experience. <laughs> even at the start of, even at the start of La Boom, 
they're in class and the teacher's telling them to like put down contact information for your parents and stuff and you have multiple kids i thought it was interesting that this movie like took an aside for multiple kids to raise their hands and be like my parents are divorced which address do you want me to use and then another one shoots up his hand it's like minor divorce too a third one does it and then a fourth goes minor on the rocks like and then they like laugh about that this kid's parents are like maybe gonna get divorced and i thought that was a really interesting way to start a movie that's very much going to revolve around this family that is like delightful nuclear mom dad and then you realize like that he's got this mistress in his past and it moves toward like mom finding out about the adultery and them finding their way through those troubles i thought it was interest to like in a story about like this girl just desperately needing to go to the right parties it opens with us being like hey families are fucked up and like that's also pretty normal in this classroom full of kids yeah it's really interesting looking back at all these kind of films and even today and seeing like what the narratives are at the time mm-hmm. like I don't know I if it's 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 so interesting films and like convention <laughs> there's you know like weird things like um you know when women start like hair issues within bodies of women and stuff mm-hmm. for example are, like quite a weird thing because like literally you'll see for example in French film up to the 70s like Jeanne Moreau who's like this amazing actress for example mm-hmm. will have unshaved armpits and then mm-hmm. one day to the next they're all everyone's armpits are shaped and you just wondered like god what an extraordinary thing like suddenly she was a beauty icon before and she's a beauty icon after and she's within the mainstream in both instances but but there's just like these funny moments where suddenly society decides some weird path and then culturally people seem to follow you know and and then it becomes like a very sort of monolithic Mm -hmm. ideal Mm -hmm. do you know what I mean it's weird that we can't somehow I do wonder if it's something to do with capitalism or something that, you know, to market a product, you have to have like a single mm-hmm. ideal, you know, to sort of push your forces. To, I don't know. It's very strange. There's something very odd about it. Well, OK, to that to that point, let's 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 go with that a little bit. You work in, in multimedia and there, you know, I feel like in, in something like sculpture or photography, you know, it's distillations of, of an image or an object and, and, and you're you know, there's a lot of room for this interpretation sort of, of of however the eye of the beholder perceives that thing and what it can mean to them. And it feels like with film, that is very true. But also you have like the masters to serve in the form of like distributors yeah. and studios totally. and executives and things like that. So how then is the process of for you sort of balancing these these sort of questions and considerations, taking these sort of enterprise thoughts? And I would imagine working them into your like consciously working them into your cinematic work while also serving that commercialized aspect yeah, too that yeah, you yeah. know is net. Like how how do you find that balance for you? I mean, it's really interesting. And I think it's true, like coming maybe from from the art world in some ways or writing, uh, in some ways you're sort of shielded from that a little. Mm-hmm. But but you're absolutely right in terms of if you've got like a a huge budget, then you have, you know, more pressures of return for more people, obviously, and therefore it's more difficult to make mm-hmm. choices that that are going to be more specific to a smaller population mm-hmm. one friend of mine who's this amazing writer said um you've always got to alternate between big projects or whatever that you want to do and then mm-hmm. doing the mad thing literally just a camera in the forest and a couple of friends you know what I mean mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think Herzog's a great example of mm. someone who sort of goes between sort of between those worlds in some ways you know um you know going very guerrilla and then going um, sort of mainstream but I think yeah I think it's a balance always you know 
any filmmaker really i think um you know even huge ones like have to to, mm-hmm. to balance the demands of of the sort of market because they they warrant so many you know big budgets in some ways there there was a there was an in like uh, i was reading an, an interview that you had done and in the intro to the article there was a, a sort of a sort of like small summation of like the kind of the, the areas that you like to to work in with your your narratives and i i just enjoyed this as a quote it says all her bodies of work play with and question narrative structures, time, language, psychoanalysis, socio-political <laughs> constructions of gender and identity in some sort of way. And I, <laughs> I loved that because I was like, "That's fucking expansive, right there." And I wonder, like, do you feel like you are able to satisfy in film exploring all of those sort of like narrative combinations of things like within the within the constraints of the medium of like commercial film do you feel like do you feel like you are seeing explorations of these things as you like to do so yourself or do you feel like there is a vacuum there where you're like I would like to bring this thing forward that I'm not seeing as much of as I would like uh, yeah, it's so interesting. Well, I mean, that quote is epic. Like, um, I couldn't, you know, I was, I was surprised you managed to even breathe your way through it. So that's very sweet. Epic, epic. I think loads of films are exploring all that stuff. I mean, that's what everyone's exploring every day, just walking out the street and yeah. trying to, like, I don't know, buy some milk or whatever. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're, there's no escaping yeah. all those constructs and all those things. It's like, uh, you know, even when you sneeze or whatever and reach for tissue, every single thing is so laden with that. So I think there's no real escaping it. Or, um, But I guess, like, yeah, for me, um, I love films that, that are made by um, individual people, you know, feel like that rather than mm-hmm. than a board and they're, like, quite imperfect and, and their own and strange, you know. Mm-hmm. For me, I... I I can only explore or look at stuff that I'm inquisitive about or mm-hmm. that I haven't figured out myself that I'm trying to understand. It's such a, um, such a push making a film. It's such a, it's like pushing a massive rock or being pulled behind a car, your face down, you know, there's like, it's like an epic thing. Actually, um, that is a quote I wanted to reference exactly from that same interview where you said it was like, it's like amazing and b- blissful. And then it's also like the process of making movies, like being dragged behind a truck with your face down on the ground, <laughs> which is a yeah. vivid image. And he, knowing what you said before about like Sophie Marceau, in in La Boom and and then referencing Charlotte Gainsbourg, who like I can't really think of somebody who's more acutely the emotional opposite of Sophie Marceau in that movie than like anything Charlotte exactly. Gainsbourg has done. And I wanted to hear as somebody who is a steward of these ca- of characters into the world, I wanted to hear your thoughts on sort of like what is sort of what is the aspiration for you in terms of creating characters that are aspirational versus more like you know, gritty reflective of, of a, of the daily life of a normal person. Like, do you wish, do you sort of wish to render something, a a character's aspirational or is it like, that's not really where my passion is right now. And I'd like to do something that's a bit more sort of agonizing. Like there's, there's so much pain in Alice's character and she will. And I wondered sort of, where's your sort of driving, how do you feel about the sort of two motivations of your, what you present as a, as a film artist in the world and, and being responsible for the characters you're bringing forth? It's so interesting because I guess there's like, I hadn't really ever thought about it like that because um, I always think of the characters as they become their own thing and then yeah. they sort of evolve in their own little journey and you sort of follow them around and you're sort of wondering, 
what it is that's happening. But I guess in some ways you can potentially, as you're saying this, I I had thought about it, but potentially they're sort of combined in, you know, these imperfect characters who are complicated and misfits and, and seeing them go through whatever it is they have to go through and come out the other end. Mm -hmm. It it is, for me, it's aspirational Mm. because, um, you know, it's like, oh, maybe this weird person can do it. You know, like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe you just have to walk through this uh, big loop of fire or whatever it is yeah. to to not have this nightmare or whatever it is, you yeah. know, thing that you're struggling with. Uh, I didn't even know this until like a few weeks ago, but I thought it was really interesting that the word stories comes from the Greek inquiry mm. and that it's like, and, and asking of a question and trying mm. to resolve something. And and I think that, I mean, I, that's what I find fascinating about this kind of world is, is, you know, obviously it's like quite a process to become a human and you want to become as good a human or as, you know, as you can mm. in your lifetime. And so it's, I feel that these stories or explorations feels like um, also ways to explore, resolve, grow, mm-hmm you know and you don't really know when you start what's going to happen completely you know Mm -hmm. there's something of a of an intuitive sort of journey as well Mm -hmm. it's funny isn't it it's like um it's sometimes everything feels so um fictional (laughs) yeah you know like reality is so porous um I mean, I feel like we could be in the metaverse chatting now or we could be like literally having a dream. It feels so... Also, it's like obviously much later here, so night is falling and... Listen, and it's like I was just on surreal. a walk with a friend and he was. <laughs> we were talking about the unreality of the objects around us and the Kantian concept of the noumenon as an extra dimension to <laughs> oh existence. Oh my God, what is that? Man, I just learned about it, but like, <laughs> Tell me, I'm really intrigued. That sounds super cool. It, it, it as I understand it, uh, it is sort of it, it sort of seemed to exist as it was being told to me as sort of like the <laughs> the the plane that we come from and the plane that we return back to after our material selves have gone. And it is it is the place of reality, whereas the place that we exist. Um, is like of perception. That's so interesting. It, wow. He reads a lot more philosophy than I do. And I was just trying to ask questions and like learn more and be engaged. But a, a conversation so cool. I didn't expect to basically come up twice today. Uh, <laughs> that's so cool. It sounds really interesting. I now want to hear, hear his thoughts. That sounds really amazing. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Um, yeah, it's super, it's super trippy, isn't it? Exactly. The unreality of everything. I think that's amazing. Listen, I just because we're talking about was... it, I will provide the definition. The uh, noumenon, thanks. it is a noun. A thing as it is in itself, as distinct from a thing, as it is knowable by the senses through phenomenal attributes. Oh my god. Ladies and gentlemen, this is me throwing up my hands on the Zoom and being like, I take that as take that as you will. <laughs> a noumenon is a posited object or an event that exists independently of human sense and or perception. Amazing. My confusion, my confusion is 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 growing through the through the podcast. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, we were promised confusion. We were know, promised right confusion. So why not? Why not me asserting philosophical concepts? I have absolutely I no business unpacking. It's brilliant. It's so good. It's time for us to take a quick break, but we will be right back. And then later, I will have one quick thing before I go about more generally the trailer for the A24 movie Pearl. And more specifically, though, I will have one quick thing to say about my shining star, Mia Goth. So make sure to stay for the end. Hey there, quick favor to ask. Will you help us out by taking a five-minute survey at MaximumFun.org survey? As you know, most of the support for MaxFun comes directly from folks like you, but many of our shows and our network also rely on limited advertising for some revenue. This survey helps us attract advertisers that are a good fit for the audiences of our shows, and it helps many of our hosts secure a bit of extra income. It should only take a few minutes to complete, and you'll get a discount at MaxFun store when you do. That's MaximumFun.org survey. Thanks. I'm Lisa Hannawalt. And I'm Emily Heller. Nine years ago, we started a podcast to try and learn something new every episode. Things have gone a little off the rails since then. <laughs> Tune in to hear about low stakes neighborhood drama, gardening, the sordid, nasty underbelly of the horse girl lifestyle, hot sauce, addiction to TV, and sweaty takes on celebrity culture, and the weirdest, grossest stuff you can find on wikipedia.org. We'll read all of it no matter how gross. <laughs> There's something for everyone on our podcast, Baby Geniuses, hosted by us, two horny adult idiots. Hang out with us as we try and fail to retain any knowledge at all. Every other week on Maximum Fun. Welcome back to Feeling Seen. My guest today is Charlotte Colbert. She's directed a new movie called She Will, which tells the story of Veronica, a former movie star recuperating from surgery at a Scottish retreat. The land was formerly the site of witch burnings, and as the movie unfolds, Veronica is able to enact revenge for past wrongs through her dreams. So let's get back to our talk with Charlotte, which is getting positively six-dimensional chess with you today. To the point of questions, then, when you got the script for She Will, what were the questions that that story presented that you wanted to explore? What were the questions, if not to answer, to to work through? Yeah, exactly. I think they're not to answer. They're definitely to work through. I mean, you know, it leaves you with more questions than before. But, um, but yeah, there, no, I thought there were so many things in there that, that were really interesting. Obviously, there's like that whole history of 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 women persecuted for witchcraft or men as well. But, you know, even children and even animals they were like this crazy trial anyway um which i think is like super fascinating and actually comes back very much to to these ideas of being normal or fitting in Mm -hmm. and um not fitting in and local grievances and how those political things are anyway super interesting and this idea of the desire to obliterate these people by burning them and then the ash sort of feeding the earth, like, you know, this sort of 
held up pain and anger that's just there in the sort of fossilized peat ready to pounce. Um, quite like the fact that it was this idea of lurking there, holding space and energy in some ways. Yeah, very interested in that kind of, you know, sort of psychological DNA, this idea that we carry the story of our ancestors somehow. And I guess nature is sort of solace. I think there's something quite fascinating. And even the kind of communal dreams and this sort of idea that you can sort of heal through dreams and you don't really need to know if it really happened or if it didn't in mm -hmm. some ways, perhaps you can experience catharsis. Mm -hmm just by dreaming about a revenge or, you know, I don't know, there's something in that perhaps. Does art then, does that ever function for you in that way? Like, are the, the photography, the, the photography, the, the, the yeah. short films, the feature films, is are these the sort of dreams where you get your revenge as like yeah, an extrapolation so, of the concept? Oh my God. Um, I, I, well, I mean, that was the concept in the script. Um, I think potentially there's a bit of that in this one, but 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 hopefully not in all. Right, and, and I just it, use that uh, as a micro example of a yeah. larger possible action of like not necessarily where you get your revenge, but like do they function for you as as like catharsis or or something akin to that? Yeah, really hugely. Mm. Yeah, it's it's quite a personal journey, and so it was actually I found it really yeah very interesting, and it's um it's also just such an incredibly collaborative process that mm. also all the people that you meet um share similar sensitivities to that particular issue or those particular questions that you're asking. So you do get a whole array of different perspectives on it, which is really interesting um, as you sort of progress through. Um, it's a it's a sort of different way to look at it, isn't it? Um, this kind of dreaming, dreaming together. <laughs> Actually, that gets to like a sort of fundamental part of the kind of conversations that like I'm trying. I I the the theme of the conversations I'm trying to have with people here, which is that these these movies, these characters, as these sort of like you know these avatars for us through which we can either identify ourselves or perhaps in the case of like you talking about with Sophia Marceau in the and La Boom um a character through whom you can like realize aspiration and i wondered if you've like growing up watching french cinema did you feel like you had a sufficient amount of like young female characters or perhaps older female characters i don't know that you were like i feel like i am getting a great breadth of the experience of a life that looks similar <laughs> to mine to work. I feel like there is enough narrative for me out there versus what I talk about a lot in this podcast with a lot of different people is sort of the shortcomings of the stories that were offered growing up that we're getting better at telling now. So people have to graft themselves onto characters unlike who they linearly are in order to fulfill that like vacuum of of an of having an avatar representation. Did you feel like when you were watching movies growing up, you, you felt like you saw yourself in a lot of places? Or did you feel like you were kind of on the other side of the glass a little bit? First of all, I wasn't really allowed to watch films growing up. So oh. it was like a, it, it, you know, it was kind of, so the, the, the films that I sort of stole away are from like random, they're very random <laughs> often. Um, and I think that's also like my love then when I started, you know, did start watching films, I sort of watched everything and went completely berserk. And like, what think, about like, what, what age does that happen when you're finally accessing movies? I mean, I moved to Montreal 
And I actually uh, lived in this flat with a bunch of people. And one of the people there was a screenwriter. Mm. And um, yeah, he was like showing me a few films. And then I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Remember, I, I watched like literally, and it was so like, you know, binge. It was like, watch all of Terminator, then watch <laughs> all of Kievnowski, <laughs> then watch all of like, you know, like literally like, uh, uh, you know, then Misery, then, you know, whatever. So it was like yeah, all man. sort of um, mixed together, like in terms of from like Tarkovsky to like Gladiator yeah so yeah so that's quite random and then I guess France um is and was even more like incredibly misogynistic and very 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 conservative in terms of culturally and in terms of roles of women and stuff uh-huh. even though it presents itself obviously as very liberal and uh, it's fine you know no, I, rem- the I reality remember when is it's not like that the the um Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I remember when that came out and there was sort of this like, I remember reading French press about it, talking about the movie as like not a sexual film and not a sensual film because there wasn't like apparent and traditional and penetrative sex in the movie. And I really, I've thought that it's something I want people who know more than me to tell me about really is this fascinating divide it seems like in french cinema of we are you know we are sexually liberated americans yes sexually prude and prudish christian terrible um mores in society oftentimes but like this sort of perception of um french filmmaking and french cinema as like ultimately liberated and progressive when it's kind of rooted in a very binary and cis and traditional form of sexual expression actually and so, like, the collision Completely. of, like, a progressive progressive actions of sex, sexuality being present, but sort of a limited view of what the scope of sexuality and sex and intimacy means, I think is a fascinating, like, paradox. It's inter- it's complex, isn't it? Because there is, as you say, there's this, na- it's, it's nearly like the IP of the country is built mm-hmm. on the idea of sexiness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, in some ways... <laughs> It's complicated because... It seems like one of their it, great exports. Yes, exactly. Sexiness is a big export along with red wine and cigarettes. You know, so there's this <laughs> funny thing of like... So then questioning it becomes like... It's quite a, a complicated structure to to dis- to begin to dismantle. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's I don't even know where to begin because it's right. so enormous as of an issue <laughs> it's just like oh my god I you know can't even think about it you know but like in <laughs> in in, uh, in in France you know I mean for example women in my family I um, are amazing but you know still function within a very you know traditional very misogynistic frame framework you mm-hmm. know of, of thought and and it's always fascinating isn't it when um women can be very harsh on other women Mm -hmm. like and then you see like sometimes the power structures are so ingrained also that um as beliefs um with within our own psyche that it's nearly impossible to to unshackle well and so Um, did you did you have to go through did you then find yourself going through a conscious process of your own unshackling then was that like like every day shit like I've got work I need to do to divest from these things that were inculcated into me as normal. Like, did you have your sort of epiphany period with that? Yeah, one, I'm 100%. I actually have a little girl. Oh. And, um, and the process of that has been really crazy because, you know, it's mad just going into a shop, seeing the toys. Suddenly you look at everything yeah. with a completely different way. And it's you're like, which films can I show her? And you're like, 
I can't show her any films from my... <laughs> like, literally, I can't show her any films from my child. I'm like, I can't. Like, most of them are... I mean, the, the female characters are just awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're just awful. So it's like, oh, my God, I can't show her anything. Um, so, uh, so yeah, then she became obsessed with the She-Hulk, which was, like, the only <laughs> comic book that... <laughs> It's so funny. It's so we got one. We got so, one. It was hilarious. But it is like it is quite crazy that, you know, in terms of um yeah, suddenly seeing it through a little person, you start looking and when you're like driving through London and she's going and she's like, Who who's this guy on a horse? Who's that guy on a horse? Who's this <laughs> other guy on a horse? And you're like, You're right, there's only guys on horses everywhere, on sculptures, you know, they're all the sculptures are like men on pillars, and it's just like, God, it's extraordinary. Um, you know, you have to keep questioning this because you, that's why like when you meet really old people who are meeting lots of people and asking lots of questions, it's such a joy because you realize they're constantly putting themselves in question and rechecking the things and the information they're taking for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, cause certitude is so terrifying. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so then, you know, with making, if you're like, what do I show her? And you're like, oh, my God, nothing. I can show her nothing and she can watch She-Hulk and that's it. And so you're making She-Will then. And what was most important to you to establish with uh, Coda Eberhardt's Desi, the health aide to Alex Krieg's Veronica? Um, how did you, what was most important to you to bring to life and to, and, and, and in what way to define these female characters in your film? If you're like, there's nothing I can show my little girl. <laughs> like, oh what is, God. what is then your, your extension of that, your sort of part in that work in making your own movie? It's literally called fucking She Will. So, <laughs> Um, a declarative statement <laughs> it's inter- it's funny because um there's some part of it obviously that was with kitty as well <clears throat> and for kitty i think the the older character of of veronica gant like for her she she thought there was very something quite interesting about this moment also where where um older women sort of become sort of invisible she mm. felt like mm-hmm. and um and that reclaiming of 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 some kind of visibility, you know, mm-hmm. within that. And I guess Kota's character, Kota's amazing. I mean, she feels like the sort of heartbeat of the film. She's the only sort of likable one. And she's the sort of, um, the one with, you know, with hurt, but who reaches out and she's sort of non-binary and she feels like she might transcend those kind of mm-hmm. um, ways of thinking. And I don't know, go somewhere else that's more healing um but I think you know even having an you know an older actress on screen is sadly become a statement which is quite nuts also like um the the characters suffered a a double mastectomy and we've had a lot of people talk to us about how you know they feel it's very underrepresented Mm -hmm. and I think there's something I guess in the film that's really about sort of reappropriating your hurt and claiming it as a sort of strength. Um, it's interesting how victims of a crime are often seen uh, to feel, you know, to feel ashamed of something. And then there's that process, I guess, of of being strong enough to to speak out against it. And it's a process that's quite long and arduous. 
some ways it, it goes back also to the to the to, to the prosecution of witches you know mm-hmm. I, I mean I'm obsessed with this anonymous quote I um always say it because it's just such a great quote no one knows who wrote it but it says why are we taught to fear the witches and not those who burnt them alive mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and there's something so um mad about that and so then you know do you where do I, I mean, we're, we're, we're asking big questions here. So I'm going to ask more big questions. You know, <laughs> do you feel like we've stopped burning the witches? Generally? Oh my God. No. No. So what do we, what do we, what do, the, what do we, what do we, the witches do? Oh my God. What do we well, do, this, this Charlotte? Is, oh Solve it. Oh my God. Oh my God. Do you On know this crazy? podcast right now. <laughs> I just instantly combust. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, they finished, everybody. It's it's Charlotte's last interview ever. This was this was it. Um, okay, <laughs> so funny. Oh my god. Um, yeah, it's so crazy. Like a couple of years ago, I met this um this uh, journalist. He's like a war reporter, a correspondent, you know, foreign whatever. And um, I was chatting to him. I was like, "What's the one sort of trend you sort of see worldwide that you think?" is like, you know, he's going to everywhere, you know, like everywhere in the world, da, da, da. And he says, you know, the rise of, of, of conservative forces, he says, is the one thing that he could see worldwide as a, the, the rise of, of, uh-huh. of fundamentalism. And it is, my God, I wish I could have um, an hour with Margaret Atwood and just. <laughs> um, I was literally you know. just talking about Margaret Atwood with my friend who I went on the walk with too. So we're no really. Oh we're, my in the, God. We're, we're sharing the same particle energy. Yeah, we're we're in the noumenon together. <laughs> oh my God, this is epic. I love it. <laughs> I love the noumenon. I feel delirious. <laughs> it's total passion for the noumenon. This is great. <laughs> That's a defining quote of the Feeling Scene podcast now. That's... I feel like we we could our, our alternatives right now are to to come to a close or to go into infinity together. So I fear we will have to come to a close oh, instead. God. But That's Charlotte, so thank you so much for going on this imagination journey with me. Oh my god, it's been epic. It's so trippy. I don't know if it's because it's late at night or what it is, but I literally feel like I had the best time. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you to Charlotte Colbert for going all sorts of interesting places with me today in that conversation, including into the Numenon. Uh, Let's all meet and hang out in the Numenon. It is everything. It is nothing. It is all around us. It is nowhere. Um, And that, I feel like, is a great context for our conversation we just had. Uh, She Will is in theaters now, by the way. And while I would encourage you to see it on a big screen, It is also rentable in the U.S. on Apple TV, YouTube, Prime, and lots of places. You know the drill. And hey, I know we didn't talk all that much about La Boom, but if you want to check that out, it's totally worthwhile. It's a really charming movie, and I am looking forward to digging into the franchise that La Boom became uh, in the wake of that first film. It is also streaming in several places, sometimes under the name The Party. So get out there and expose yourself to a little bit more French cinema. And now it is time for one quick thing before I go. If you are a regular listener uh, to this podcast, if you are a regular checker-inner on my Twitter presence, you should know 
that I absolutely love Mia Goth. She is one of our great working screen talents. She is one of our great working screen presences. She has such an incredible vulnerability and ferocity about her. Her her dynamic nature as a performer is so underappreciated by the masses. And that, that went a long way to my extremely high level of interest in the movie X that came out earlier this year, which again, if you know me from various places in media, online, on the internet, you know that I love X. I think that movie is fucking fantastic. And Brittany Snow, has she ever had more fun? Mia Goth finally being front and center shouldering a movie like the star that she is, Ty West, way to recognize the value in one of our most brightly shining gems. And here's the thing, guys, if you saw X in theaters, or if you caught it online before it was sort of scrubbed from most places, you know that at the end of X, there was a button after the credits where they played a trailer for the prequel, a prequel to the movie X called Pearl, so named for the character played by Mia Goth in X. And this is, this is the origin story of Pearl, of, of our murderous elderly woman from X, we get to see her beginnings on the farm when she her she too had dreams of stardom, like Mia Goth's uh, younger version character in the movie X. Uh, and you know what? X didn't do uh, banger numbers at the box office, which is a real shame. You guys missed out. You dropped the ball, frankly. Um, but guess what? they already shot Pearl. That wasn't just like a concept trailer. They shot X, they shot Pearl, and thank God, because the box office proceeds would not necessarily have allowed for creating an extended universe from the movie X, but we've already got it. It's in the can. It's ready to go. The trailer is officially out. You can watch it online, and it looks like it is serving kind of more Mia Goth than we have been able to get in any one movie so far. This is her film. I have been in awe of her since A Cure for Wellness came out. For the most part in that movie, she is, she's high on presence, she's low on dialogue, but she really establishes that she's got that it, she's got that special something in that movie, and then she has made, um, more and more audacious choices in um, film, and particularly genre, as the years have gone on. She was uh, unfortunately underutilized in the movie Marrowbone, which could have been so much better, especially if you're giving me my dream of seeing Anya Taylor-Joy and Mia Goth in one place. How dare you underwhelm me? Um, but she is in one of my absolutely favorite movies of all time, Sweet Sarah in Luca Guadagnino's 2018 Suspiria remake. Um, she is pure wide-eyed wonder and terror um, in the uh, Claire Denis movie High Life with Robert Pattinson. Uh, she is, you can catch her in Lars von Trier's Nymphomaniac. Mia Goth is, she's gonna do one thing. She is gonna pick a role in a movie that's gonna make you go, what the fuck? And she did the same thing in X. And the character that gave us the biggest WTF moments in that movie, she is getting a whole origin story of her own with Pearl, period piece, Mia at the center being the star she was born to be. And you know, obsessive that I am, how excited I am to see my girl 
get her flowers. So that's what I'm hyped about right now. The trailer for the movie Pearl. This is really my year with A24. Like putting out X. You guys know by now that I loved Bodies, 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 which will be playing in theaters when this episode drops. Um, Upcoming Pearl. Yes, bigger, louder, brasher, brighter, A24. We love it. Keep going. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That is it. We did it. We've come to the end. That's our show. You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod or send us an email at FeelingScene at MaximumFun.org. And if you want to follow me, I am Crew on Twitter. That's J-O-R-C-R-U. Our theme music is by Andrew Eben. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.